This podcast is supported by Locum Story. If you're considering Locum tenants, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information from physicians like you. You can find Locum trends for your specialty, compare different Locum's agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if Locum's is right for you, all at locumstory.com. Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, it's Dan Amender here. Join us again for this novel adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a collaboration between the Cardio Nerds, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, Cardio Nerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, hope you are enjoying the intro music, custom mixed for Cardio Nerds by student Dr. Hirsch Elhetz, a.k.a. DJ Elhetz, medical student at USC and Cardio Nerds Academy intern of House Thomas. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 6.1 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Christian Fabrook anderson answered first by UCSD Cardiology Fellow Dr. Herpreet Bhatia, and then by expert faculty Dr. Eugenia Gianos. Dr. Gianos specializes in preventive cardiology, lipidology, cardiovascular imaging, and women's heart disease. She is the Director of Women's Heart Program at Lenox Hill Hospital and Director of Cardiovascular Prevention for Northwell Health. It's really great to be here with the famous Cardio Nerd team and really great to see how many of you are interested in this awesome field of preventive cardiology that I've really built my career in and I'm tremendously passionate about. I'm also really excited that we're going to be putting the American and European prevention guidelines into practice uh, with the cases that you've selected. Thank you so much, Dr. Giannos. Christian, I hear you have a question for us. Thanks, Amit. Yeah, I've got a question about antiplatelet therapy for acute coronary syndrome, but I need a little help figuring out the answer. Here it is. A 70-year-old man with a history of hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, peptic ulcer disease with a prior upper GI bleed, as well as coronary artery disease presents to clinic. About one year ago, he suffered an NSTEMI treated with percutaneous coronary intervention to the mid-LAD. He's feeling well and able to walk one mile a day with no anginal symptoms. He's currently taking 81 milligrams aspirin daily, ticagrelor 90 milligrams BID, atorvastatin 40 milligrams daily, metoprolol 25 milligrams BID, lisinopril 5 milligrams daily, and lansoprazole 15 milligrams daily. He has a preserved ejection fraction. His blood pressure in clinic is 110 over 70, and his heart rate is 65 beats per minute. His LDL is 50 milligrams per deciliter. What would you recommend for his further management? A. Switch ticagrelor to clopidogrel, continue indefinitely. B. Stop ticagrelor, continue aspirin indefinitely. C. Continue aspirin and ticagrelor indefinitely. D. Stop ticagrelor, 
start rivaroxaban, 2.5 milligrams BID. Harpreet, do you think you'd be able to help us with this question? Yeah, thanks, Christian. So this is a really commonly encountered clinical scenario. So this question brings up a lot of important points. The correct answer for this question is B, stop ticagrelor and continue aspirin indefinitely. In general, 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy is recommended after acute coronary syndrome. That's a class one indication with a level of evidence of A. But long-term secondary prevention with antiprobiotic therapy can be considered. That's including dual antiplatelet therapy for longer than 12 months with a P2Y12 inhibitor and aspirin or low-dose rivaroxaban, which would be 2.5 milligrams twice a day with aspirin. That's indicated in people who are considered to be at high ischemic risk without a high risk of bleeding. That's a class 2A recommendation with a level of evidence of A. However, the patient in this scenario is at increased bleeding risk and doesn't report any ischemic symptoms or ongoing ischemic features. So neither of those would be recommended and they would fit into sort of the standard category of 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy. So my main takeaway from this question would be, in general, 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy is recommended after acute coronary syndrome. Prolonged dual antiplatelet therapy or low-dose rivaroxaban may be considered in someone who is at high ischemic risk and low bleeding risk. And I would like to turn it over to Dr. Gianos to see if she has anything to add to this question. Thanks, Harpreet and Christian. I really like the way you broke down the bleeding and thrombotic risk in this particular patient. And the reality is that historically, we left people on depth indefinitely. And unless they had a major bleeding episode, we generally didn't change therapy. And over the years, we've seen more and more trials following patients on different regimens post-BCI to help address this exact question. So based on the evidence, we have a class one indication for both the ACCHA and the recent European prevention guidelines to use DAP for, as you mentioned, 12 months post-ACS and six months post-elective PCI. Now, beyond that, much of the decision-making needs to be individualized and really weighing both thrombotic and bleeding risk in, in a specific patient. And with this patient, and with his prior GI bleed, the answer really should be single antiplatelet therapy at this point. Well, thank you for that, Dr. Gianos. Another question I had is how does low-dose rivaroxaban play into this? Has that made it into clinical practice or is more data needed before it gets incorporated into clinical practice? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that at this present time, probably underutilized. The reality is that we're always balancing a patient's bleeding risk and their thrombotic risk. And it turns out that the patients with the highest thrombotic risk also often have the highest bleeding risk as well. So this can be quite a challenging decision. However, in the COMPASS trial, really in those high-risk patients with stable coronary disease and atherosclerotic disease in general had benefit noted, and this is net clinical benefit even when they weighed the thrombotic and bleeding risk together. So there's definitely the right patient who does benefit. I think the most important thing is for us to recognize the highest risk thrombotic patient to then target for that combination therapy. Wow. Dr. Gianos, Harpreet, thanks for that really educational conversation. As a medical student, when precisely to initiate dual antiplatelet therapy and for how long has always confused me. Thanks again for distilling this complicated topic into some clear, digestible points. And thanks for those terrific clinical pearls also. I think many folks listening on will take a lot away from this. Thank you so much for having me. It's 
really exciting to watch your progress as this Cardio Nerds production has come into play. And I am just excited to watch each of your careers in the future. Thanks again. Thank <laughs> you.